culture, society. On every street and around every bend lies a world positively overflowing with both. But sometimes we can all use a night in, removed from the endless spiral of chaos and absolute nonsense that waits outside our doors. And for those nights, there's Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop local stores and compare prices on the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get your favorite drinks delivered to your door in under 60 minutes. All from the comfort of your couch. Because society is great, but it doesn't have your couch. And it's windy out. And you forgot your jacket. And oh my God, would you look at the line at that place? Are you serious? I... (sighs) So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. You're listening to Hashtag No Filter with Zach Peter. That's me, your naturally platinum blonde pop culture connoisseur. I'm the reality TV junkie, self-improvement addict, and host with only the hottest tea spilled fresh weekly. For more hot takes, go and give me a follow at Just Plain Zach. I always keep it funny and I always keep it cute. And if you're like me and you want to stay up to date with the latest reality tea, go and give us a follow at No Filter with Zach on the Instagram. Or you can always join our private Facebook group. The link is in the description below. It is a good time in the private Facebook group. You guys always come. You spill the tea. You get some some hot topics going, some hot conversations. I hope right now you are sipping on some fizzy Housewives-inspired wine for yourself. Pack it to punch at 13% alcohol by volume, but less than a gram of sugar. It is my no-filter wine. I like to call it my Housewives-watching wine because it's the wine that I like to drink while I'm watching The Real Housewives, whether I'm like yelling about Teresa's hair or I'm like, holy guacamole. What craziness is Sutton going to say today? Or I'm watching Lisa Rinna getting ready to hunt you down. It's it's a good time. Head over to nofilterwine.com. Must be 21 or older to order. But please, sip responsibly. You will be getting Liddy City with that 30% alcohol by volume. But like I said, sip responsibly. Have a good time and enjoy your summer. It's created consciously with my pals at Elixir. We made them small and compact and designed around some of our favorite, most iconic housewives moments. So head over to nofilterwine.com right now. Oof. Well, welcome on in, guys. I hope you are having a wonderful Wednesday. Welcome on in, welcome on in, welcome on in. Um, so last week, the LA Times released two new articles on Tom Girardi. First on Erica Jane's earrings, the earrings in question, a possible fake burglary, and the potential fraud associated with the purchase of those earrings. Then a second article about the retired justices that helped enable this decades-long Ponzi scheme or embezzlement scandal that was carried out by Girardi Keys and how these judges helped Tom get away with it for so long. Today, I'm going to be summarizing both articles for you, and we'll dive into the latest accusations against Tom Girardi and Girardi Keys. So get ready. But first up, let's talk about these damn earrings, okay? The earrings that everybody can't seem to stop talking about. 
According to the LA Times, Tom Girardi gifted his wife, Erica Girardi, with a pair of $800,000 diamond earrings back when they were first dating just before their wedding in 2000. Erica, however, has come out and tweeted that they were actually both already married at the time, that she received the earrings, and that the timeline seems a little off. The earrings were reported stolen in 2007 in bankruptcy court in 2012. However, Tom said that the earrings were stolen in early 2007, likely sometime in like February, maybe late January of 2007 during a home invasion while the two were out of town on vacation. According to Tom, he had a replacement pair of earrings made up on March 6th of 2007. The replacement earrings cost an estimated $750,000. These are the earrings that are currently in question. They were paid for directly by a client or directly out of a client trust account at Girardi Keys. However, according to Pasadena Police, the only report of a Girardi burglary that they have in 2007 was on December 28th, which was months after Tom paid his downtown LA jeweler for the replacement pair. So he paid for them paid for the earrings in March, but the re- the police report says that the earrings technically weren't stolen until December of that year. That is a sketchy timeline. Bought the earring, bought the replacement in March, but yet they weren't stolen until December. So Tom later confirmed that the December 28th date during a lawsuit against their homeowners association. He ultimately lost that lawsuit, but in it, Tom claims that they were burglarized while out to dinner in December, not away on vacation in March. He also claims that the earrings were worth $1 million, not the estimated 800000 that he originally paid for. Uh, paid back in 2000. So nor did he even use the $750,000 estimate that he reportedly paid in 2007 for the replacement pair. So he's now saying in this homeowners association, I believe he was trying to go after them um, for security breaches in regards to burglaries or just like security issues within their, uh, within their uh, community. And so He was saying, look, there was this burglary that happened in December on December 28th while my wife and I were out to dinner. They came, they broke in, they took uh, several pieces of jewelry, one of them being this million dollar pair of earrings that were on my wife's vanity at the time. They were in a cup. The rest of the jewelry was in our safe. So whatever they had access to, the burglars came and took. So, but the interesting thing is one, the estimate that he says was worth $1 million, even though he originally paid 800000 when he bought them back in 2000. And then his replacement pair cost him $750,000. I'm a little confused about the 50 grand because like the earrings were originally 800, but then he was able to get them remade for 750 by the exact same jewelry. That to me is like some TJ Maxx savings right there, 50 grand that you get just shaved off the earrings. Um, But anyway, the Homeowners Association lawsuit was irrelevant to the earrings themselves. They were just referenced in that lawsuit. But the interesting thing is he references the December 28th date, not the original March date, which is when the earrings were first stolen, which is why he had them remade in early 2007. And the jeweler in the LA Times article does back up the timeline of March and says that they were paid, that the exchange of funds happened in early March of 2007. So 
Interesting distinction. So the earrings currently sit in a safety deposit box in possession of the Girardi Keys bankruptcy trustee. I believe they're still awaiting appraisal to see what the actual value of the earrings is as they stand today, whether they went up in value, whether they went down in value, because obviously they are used. I mean, there's, I don't know, we don't know if they've depreciated. We don't know what condition they're in. Apparently nobody's really seen the earrings, or if we have, we don't know what they are, which earrings they actually are. Erica has, you know, several pairs of different diamonds and jewelry that we've seen on red carpets or on the show. According to the LA Times, there isn't an actual photo of the known earrings. If there is a photo, there's no way to identify which earrings actually belong to this case. So the Girardi Keys bankruptcy trustee was awarded the earrings in a recent court hearing. However, Erica Girardi's attorney, Evan C. Borges, has just filed an appeal to continue fighting for them, claiming that she's entitled to keep the earrings. He initially argued that Erica was entitled to those earrings based on a statute of limitations issue, or that being one of the reasons being a statute of limitations issues being issue being that it's been 14 years since the earrings were purchased and based on that and based on the fact that she received them innocently not knowing how they were actually purchased he claims she was unaware of any illegal transfer of funds and that the accountability should lie with Jordy Keese and Jordy Keese's attorneys and not with Erica herself essentially arguing that Erica didn't commit the crime Jordy Keese committed the crime therefore Jordy Keese should be responsible for paying back the money not Erica the men that release those funds should be the ones paying up, not her, is basically the argument that he's trying to make. We'll have to wait to see how it all plays out. The judge did flat out claim that the purchase of the earrings is a crime. I personally would like to see the men held accountable for their crime, or shall we say crimes now? But right now, none of them are really being held accountable aside from this lawsuit by Edelson. They're all off hiding. They're all playing the fifth. It's really interesting to see how these people really committed the crimes and they're kind of getting away with it or not getting away with it but they're able to kind of hide from the public scrutiny but i'm curious what do you guys think should we liquidate the earrings to pay off the creditors we do know that there are a lot more than just former Girardi keys clients that are in line that are in the line of creditors many of them are lenders some of them being friends of tom Girardi that are like hey tom owes me money like, mm, maybe you should back off. Some of them are even uh, former court justices or at least the association that represents them. Some of them are attorneys saying that they didn't get all of their fees, etc. So don't be fooled into thinking that just because the assets come into the trustee that that money is immediately being used to pay back former clients because there are a lot of people that are asking for money. There are a lot of people with their hands out and we're just going to have to wait and see who gets what and how it all gets divided. I believe the trustee is currently starting to negotiate settlements and starting to pay off people. So we'll have to see what happens. Um, but let's break down the second LA Times article, which is titled, Tom Girardi's Epic Corruption Exposes the Secretive World of Private Judges. According to the LA Times, Tom would hire private retired judges to act as mediators to oversee client settlements. They'd essentially determine how settlements were dispersed and were assigned to ensure that there was no misappropriation of the funds, but to kind of keep everything clean and kosher. So one of those judges being uh, Justice John K. Trotter Jr., he would receive a cut of the settlements as a fee for his services. These 
mediation services were supposed to prevent lawyers from dipping into client trust accounts and taking funds that weren't entitled to them. There's one settlement in particular uh, that involves patients of a diabetes medication that suffered severe side effects. Tom represented them and won a $66 million lawsuit, which Trotter was the mediator of. Ultimately, he withdrew $15 million, which the Times estimates at uh, 22% of the settlement earned, and he labeled it as he labeled them as costs. So $15 million in costs and fees for that case. Former judges like Trotter are now being accused of enabling schemes like Tom's at Girardi Keys by initially authorizing settlement transfers that were not appropriate and later not reporting him for fraud once they became aware of what was going on if they became aware because a lot of them are saying that they had no idea that any of this was going on so these judges were paid up to like $1,500 an hour to assist on settlements for Girardi Keys, most of them coming out of a firm called JAMS, J-A-M-S, which stood for Judicial Arbitration and Mediation Services. So they represented a lot of retired judges, and these justices would now be brought in to help mediate some of these settlements to help you know make sure everything stays clean, right? So that was their job. Their fiduciary responsibility was to help make sure clients got all their settlements, helped determine how much money they get, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The Times alleges that having these judges by Tom's side created an aura of invincibility, which is interesting since the latest Edelson lawsuit accuses Erica of being his aura of wealth. And they've even named her as a co-conspirator, knowingly or unknowingly. They said that she was used as a front woman to keep the illusion of wealth within Girardi Keys. That that was she was kind of the figurehead that they propped up to see, like, look, Erica looks good. Erica looks expensive. Therefore, we got money. We got it like that. The Times isn't fully convinced that all of the judges were fully aware of what was going on, mainly because, like I mentioned, all the judges now or or retired judges are denying ever knowing what Tom was doing. How convenient. We all have pretend amnesia now. So my thought is it's like, couldn't the same argument about Erica being a co-conspirator, couldn't that same argument be made for Trotter and some of these other judges that were involved? They were certainly more hands-on in these cases. They were the ones signing off on the transfers of these funds. But it's interesting that none of them are named in this Edelson lawsuit. Granted, yeah, to be fair, the Edelson lawsuit is specific to the Lion Air case. These judges were involved in other cases. It's unclear who the exact mediator was for the uh, Lion Air case. I would imagine Trotter would seem like a plausible person to do that. I'm not sure who the mediator was for the Lion Air case. That's possibly why none of them are, are listed in this, but... We'll see. So Trotter responded to the Times claiming that he's always fulfilled his duties legally and ethically and that he doesn't know anything about what Tom was doing and he doesn't know when Tom morphed into the man he is today, this criminal that he is today. He's claiming that the real problem isn't with retired private judges such as himself, but it's with Tom Girardi. So it seems everyone is trying to pass the buck off onto Tom Girardi. It also, or the sentiment that I got in reading the article from Trotter was that he wasn't even blaming lawyers in the system. He was blaming Tom Girardi specifically, saying that Tom Girardi is the person that did this, not lawyers, not uh, private judges that work for jams, but Tom specifically. 
Okay, so I go back and forth sometimes, and you're probably going to hate me for saying this, but like my brain just like wonders. You know, I like to play devil adv- devil's advocate, and I have to look at everything from different angles, but everyone says that Tom did this all on his own, right? And of course, I mean, they could all be lying, but was Tom like deviously trying to steal from vulnerable people? Like, was he truly that evil? Or was it that he was just like, maybe he started to get a little more greedy and maybe he was addicted to the power and to the wealth and to the affluence and it all just kind of got away from him. Like I go back and forth between thinking like, was he so diabolical that he was, I mean, the evidence against him is not, it's not good because then you have him like hiring these case runners to find vulnerable victims to kind of bring them in. So like I go back and forth and I'm torn because sometimes I'm just like, it sounds like maybe it kind of just snowballed away. You know, was he like truly that evil that he or, you know, is it just that it got away from him and that he let things slip through the cracks and he found loopholes and he started jumping through all these loopholes and things got messy. And then eventually, because so many people enabled his behavior and so many people um, and nobody ever checked him, is it possible that it just got out of his hands and it snowballed into the giant mess that it became today? Because, like, at what point did it turn? How did it turn? Why did it turn? You know, in the words of Erica Jane, the only person that knows those answers is him. So, I mean, I guess we're never going to get these answers. But it's like, at some point, there had to have been a a turning point, right? Like, I don't believe he woke up or he grew up and he's like, I want to be a lawyer and I want to help vulnerable uh, victims because I want to rip them off. Like, I just, I don't think he went into it with that. So I'm like, what? Like, was it a certain level of money that he achieved? Was it a certain level of status that he achieved? Was it, you know, a smoke and mirrors game of trying to keep up appearances? I'm sure it's a combination of all of these things, but... It's just like the allegations go back decades, like before Erica. I mean, the cases that are talked about here in the LA Times go back into the 90s, which was before he ever married Erica. But I mean, we know he was eventually like starting to pay some people off. He was just really good at dodging a lot of them and he racked up a shit ton of debt and he was really bad at paying back his debts. But again, I just like, I want to know where did it all go wrong? Because I feel like it had to have started, like there started to have been cracks, like way early on no because like a lot of people want to blame Erica and say that she's the reason that he got so money hungry um, and she's the reason that he started spending so lavishly but this man used to use his wealth to attract younger women he used his power and his influence to push people around and to get what he wants he was very much a bulldozer but it just makes me think like when and how and just like why And obviously all of these people, the lawyers that didn't want to stick up to him, maybe they were benefiting in some way. These judges that didn't want to stick up to him or didn't want to report him. They obviously are complicit in this as well. I think a lot of people very easily turn the other cheek. And the more they turn the other cheek, the more power Tom seemed to believe that he had and the more influence he seemed to believe that he had. Because the LA Times tries to make it out to be like, you know, he kept all of these judges around him and would take them to parties and on cruises and would hang out with, you know, Thomas Latin from the state bar. And he had all of these people kind of as like gateways, as gargoyles outside of his kingdom to scare people off to be like, oh, I can't go in there because if I go in there, that gargoyle is going to get me before I even try to make it past the front gate. It's interesting. It just lots of questions to like contemplate and think about because my brain's like, I just I don't think he was he was born an evil person and just decided that this was the route that he was going to go down, that he was going to find vulnerable people to take advantage of. I think at some point 
either it was greed or power or desire or, you know, I don't know. But some point there was a turning point at some point. And it continued to build to the point where it turned into this giant Ponzi scheme. Was it a Ponzi scheme he willingly started? Was it a Ponzi scheme that kind of started because he was bad at managing his funds and then eventually he learned he could get away with it and that's where it started to run off with him? I don't know. This is where my brain goes. You're probably going to hate me for asking questions and not just immediately crucifying him. But like, I actually want to know. I want to get into the mind of the criminal. Isn't that a Netflix series? Don't we like to get into the minds of criminals and like figure out like what happened and how we all got to be here? I have questions, damn it. Okay, there's another case brought into question involving a former judge, Jack Tenner, who was also a civil rights activist, and he did a lot of fighting for racial discrimination back in the day. Um, Very much a pioneer in that sense. He worked with Tom on a case involving employees that were poisoned by a chemical plant owned by Lockheed, which is a security and defense technology company. This was back in the 90s, so pre-Erica now. Um, So Uh, Tenor worked with Tom. He was a mediator for Tom's cases. That case went on for five years and ultimately racked in $120 million in a settlement for the clients. However, many began to question the transparency of Girardi Keese as payments took forever to receive. One of them even claims that Tom tried to take advantage of the fact that these clients were elderly and ill, one foot in the grave and one foot out, as she describes them. She says that Tom tried to give them smaller settlements because most of them came from simple means, simple backgrounds, that he knew that if he threw $50,000 at them, that would suffice since it's the most money that he that they've ever seen. But Mildred, who's now a widow of one of those clients, she says that they're not dumb and that they knew that they were entitled to more of the settlement and they knew that by the lack of transparency and by the dodging from Tom, that there was something sketchy going on. She's like, he thought that he could just pay us a little bit of money and that we would be so happy with that that we would just run off she's like but that's not like he took advantage of us he used us to get all of this money and we're entitled to that money so when the books were later reviewed in 2000 it seems that millions were spent on like vague and unclear fees such as a four hundred and fifty thousand dollar fee for an expert witness on the case notes were labeled as like confidential or it was approved by justice tenor so He was writing, I mean, he was keeping books. They just weren't the cleanest books. They didn't seem to be matching up. I mean, I think $450,000 to be an expert witness, that is a pretty hefty win. Like, give me that job. I can be an expert in many things. I know how to Google. Give me that. Put some respect on my check. So... Tenor was even caught signing orders to release funds from the banks to Girardi Keys, or sorry, from the bank to Girardi Keys without the proper authorization of all parties that had access to the escrow account because multiple people had access and multiple people had to approve or authorize the release of funds. Well, Tom pulled out $3.4 million that was signed that he got Tenor to sign off on his behalf for. He soon after that tried to withdraw another $3.6 million, but that's when the bank was like, hold up, wait a minute. You just pulled out $3.4 million. Now you're trying to pull out another $3.6 million. We don't have everybody's signature to sign off on these. I get it. You have your justice mediator that signed off on this, but now you're pulling out too much money and this just doesn't seem like something about this feels off. And so they started asking about the previous $3.4 million and they're like, well, where did that money go? And Tom's like, oh, that went to the clients. I used it to pay the clients. I'm a good guy. But they have no record of him ever using that money to pay the clients. 
you would know if the clients got that money that there would be some sort of clear indication or they would say, yeah, this was here's the check that I received on this date. Yet despite upset clients and despite now weary banks, Tenor continued to vouch for Tom. Those Lockheed clients claim that they still to this day have never received their full settlement money. Um, and some of them have started to pass away. It's It's awful. In 2011, there was another case involving a menopause drug that affected 138 clients, all of whom are cancer survivors. They began raising questions about their settlement money and even hired a new attorney to go after Tom. Tom refused to give up his books and instead called another retired judge. This time he used Judge, or sorry, Justice Edward A. Pinelli. Girardi Keese claims they withheld $1 million of the client's settlement money due to Pinelli's recommendation. Tom used this excuse on more than one occasion, claiming that his mediator, these former retired justices, these mediators would advise him against dispersing all of the settlement money, which if you consult with any like, you know, legal experts or people that understand arbitration and cases like this, they would say that's not really standard. Like there's no real reason that a mediator would advise against giving the client all of their money when the settlement comes in obviously take your fees and take, you know, your commission, but there's no additional reason to withhold their money. It's also worth noting, though, that many of these clients that Tom represented were victims of like awful debilitating accidents, like cancer, burn victims, you know, so their shelf life, they weren't in the best medical condition. So essentially their shelf life was heading towards expiration. And it appears that he would entangle these things and fight them off until they unfortunately would pass away or instead would just end up, you know, giving up fighting with him because they would rather not spend their final days battling him in court. They would just take what he'd given them, make the most of what they had left and just, you know, live out whatever was left of their life. Tom fought off the clients that were illy affected by the menopause medication, as he did with many of them. He would kind of just keep giving them the runaround. And when they wanted to sue him, he fought to keep the case out of court, because obviously if you take things into court, things become public record. Other judges that don't have any interest are able to weigh in and make judgments against Tom. And instead, he wanted, instead of going to court, he wanted to go into arbitration with his buddy, Justice Pirelli. As, as the acting mediator. So Pirelli, sorry, Pinelli, excuse me, Pinelli seemed to be aiding in Tom's mishandling of the money by backing him. And the court shot down that decision saying, no, we're not going to approve Pinelli to arbitrate this case like this. No, you need to settle this case and it needs to be resolved ASAP and you're not going to allow, like we're going to oversee this. Pinelli clearly is not, you know, doing what we need him to be doing in this situation. It was later discovered that Pinelli was never officially appointed to the case originally at all and that he never advised Girardi Keys to withhold any of the client funds. He claims that he only spent about 20 hours working on the case altogether, which was mostly in like consulting, but he didn't do any of like the heavy lifting. Apparently, he was just trusting Tom Girardi with all of the decisions and being like, all right, well, I trust you, Tom. Here, I'm just going to sign off on it for you on your behalf. He later revealed all of this in court after multiple attempts at dodging subpoenas to come and speak into court. He kept being like, I can't. I'm busy. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. Eventually, they dragged his ass into court, and he was like, yeah, no. Okay, fine. You want the truth? Here's the truth. I never told him to withhold that million dollars. I never really told him to do anything. I 
deferred to him. I trusted him and just signed off on what he, what based off of the time that I spent looking at these documents and reviewing this case, I made the best legal decisions and I made them fairly and, and ethically. And if you're upset, then you need to be upset with Tom Girardi. It was also revealed that not only did Jams build, remember Jams is the association that he was using to find these justices or these retired justices, not only did Jams bill Girardi Keys for $78,000 for this case specifically, but that Pinelli was also paid $50,000 personally for his 20 hours of work on the case. 50 grand for 20 hours of work. So the clients later discovered that Tom had already misappropriated millions of their settlement before even letting them know that the settlement money had even come in. So before he told them, oh, hey, your money's here, he was already he had already received it and started spending it or started dispersing it. Who knows where it went exactly, but it was described uh, by the then appointed forensic accountant because they're like, hold on, we need somebody to actually analyze this. And so the forensic accountant at that time described all of this as what seemed like a Ponzi scheme, which is interesting because that's what it's being referred to today. It was ultimately settled in 2016, but those records are confidential. So we don't know what the settlement actually was, but it seemed like he was doing this. He was settling these cases and you know, just kind of trying to move on from them. We also get into the Resolin case, which is where Tom misappropriated the 750000 used to purchase the earrings for Erica Jane or Erica Girardi, his wife. This case was also overseen by Trotter. Listen, I get it. It doesn't look great that Erica wants to keep the diamond earrings, but I think it's more gross that there were judges authorizing the release of those funds from a client trust account to buy the earrings. There was literally somebody that said, yeah, this is cool. Let me sign off on the release of these funds without letting the client know, without having any real conversation with the client, without guaranteeing that Tom had a system in place to pay that client that money. No, let me just sign off this $750,000 that Tom was asking for. I mean, it's interesting. I, th- these are lawyers that knew what was going on. And then you have Tom, who was knowingly taking that money from his clients to buy his wife diamond earrings. I think that all of these men are a hundred times grosser for their actions that were actually directly affecting these clients and these vulnerable individuals. And I get it. Everyone has the argument of like, oh, well, if they didn't know then, then they definitely know now cute argument, but exactly. These judges and lawyers definitely know now, and they can assist in remedying many of these wrongs, yet a lot of them are choosing to stay out of it. A lot of them are choosing to plead the fifth. A lot of them are turning the other cheek, hiding their own assets, not forfeiting their own assets or the money that was taken used to buy their lavish goods. I don't like that Erica wants to keep the earrings. I don't know why she wants to keep the earrings. That's on her. But I'm just saying there are other people that were more complicit in this that are not being held accountable or not being held to the same standard that had a fiduciary responsibility. These are men with power, men with influence, men that were still directly involved in enabling Tom's behavior, men that were still practicing law up until very recently. Yeah, still practicing law still out there, still possibly taking advantage of vulnerable clients and, you know, helping their own wives. Interestingly, too, though, while all of this was going down back in, uh, I believe, in, in the 2000s with Trotter, 
the National Law Journal named him one of the country's most influential attorneys. Or sorry, the country's most influential attorney. That should say a lot if he was named the country's most influential attorney. So did they know what Tom was doing or did Tom act alone knowing that he had their trust? Again, questions that are up in the air. He would do this often, though. He would hire these retired judges to help oversee the settlements and then determine how much the client should get. He'd then seemingly get them to release some of the funds, which he would say were costs or fees. He'd then pay the client some of their money, but not all of it. Then he would give them the runaround, blaming the mediators for why there was a delay in payments. He had this whole thing down to a science. Trotter, who was seemingly one of the most prominent figures in all of this, denies knowing what Tom was doing, saying that he would have disengaged had he known what was going on. He also blames the state bar for not catching Tom sooner, even though I'm pretty sure they'd be able to catch Tom sooner if they had, say, I don't know, the country's most influential attorney reporting him to the California state bar for his misconduct. Sounds like the country's most influential attorney would have a lot more influence at the California State Bar if they were actually reporting this behavior. Interestingly, too, though, JAMS, the organization that Tom would pay and use to obtain and support uh, from judges like Trotter and Tenor, is currently in line at the Girardi Keys bankruptcy with a claim on an unpaid bill from Girardi Keys. They received hundreds of thousands of dollars over the years, but here they are currently in line next to cancer survivors, burn victims, orphans and widows. They're standing right in line next to them seeking their own bill of just under $10,000. I believe it's like $9,600 that they're seeking that they say they're owed to by Tom Girardi because, you know, clearly the hundreds of thousands wasn't enough to begin with. So... Nobody knows anything, but they're all lining up with their hands out. They're like, give me, give me more, give me more, give me, give me more. I don't know. What do you guys think? Did these retired judges really not know what Tom was up to? Or was it just more convenient for them not to know? As he would host these lavish parties for them and take them out on cruises and take them out to fancy lunches and dinners. Let me know what you guys think, because I have a lot of thoughts. I have a lot of questions, and I feel like I have more questions than answers at this point. So if you want more Girardi tea, you can always catch up in our deep dive archive with full breakdowns, expert opinions with a multitude of experts from like Emily D. Baker to um, we recently had on Daniel Feruzin. We have a lot of attorneys, a lot of legal analysts, uh, interviews with former Girardi Keys clients. All of those are available exclusively on the YouTube at youtube.com slash just plain Zach. Follow me at Just Plain Zach, or you can always keep up with the latest reality TV news at No Filter with Zach on the Instagram. Thank you guys for listening to hashtag No Filter with Zach Peter. That's me. Be sure to stock up on some of my No Filter wine, which I like to call my housewives watching wine, packing a punch at 30% alcohol by volume, but less than a gram of sugar is a delicious, lightly fizzy, crisp, rosé and white wine available exclusively at nofilterwine.com for fun designs inspired by some of the most iconic housewives moments from Beverly Hills to New Jersey 
Must be 21 or older to order, and please sip responsibly. Also, be sure to catch all new episodes of Hashtag No Filter with Zach Peter on all podcast platforms every Monday, Wednesday, and live rebroadcasts every Friday. Let me know what other juicy topics you want me to dive into. We do have Bravo Book Club. Well, now it's just reality TV. No Filter Book Club is, I guess, what we'll call it now, where we dive into reality star books or celebrity books. We are currently reading Holly Madison's book, Down the Rabbit Hole. We go live every Tuesday night on the Instagram, recapping that book. I think next we're going to start Jeanette McCurdy's book because that one looks super juicy. So stay tuned for that. Love you guys. Appreciate you. Have a wonderful week. I'll see you for Thursday Night Live. Get ready. Love you. Mean it. Bye.